This is Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. From the corporate office to the cab of a truck, they're here to inspire and empower women in all professions. So gear down, sit back, and enjoy. Welcome to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy DeCaro. We're a show that works to inspire and empower women in every profession and lifestyle, including the office, trucking, the trades, and even motherhood. We power women on the road to success. We tackle all kinds of topics and we work to encourage women to be their very best with informative guests and women who've been champions. I'm Shelley. And I'm Kathy. No topic is taboo on our rig. We tackle the tough topics along with the not-so-tough topics. And we like to feature experts and celebrities who can assist women in being the very best they can be. Kathy and I want everyone to have a fantastic holiday season and stay inspired and even entertained. In the spirit of that, we decided to give back to our listeners by featuring segments of our special interviews on Women Road Warriors. We're going to be doing two of them before the end of the year. This episode is a bonus edition that features some of the wonderful celebrities we've interviewed. So sit back, relax, have a big mug of hot chocolate, and enjoy our holiday highlights. First guest up, Valerie Bertinelli. This is a very special episode of Women Road Warriors, and we're really excited. Valerie Bertinelli made her national debut on the TV show One Day at a Time, where she became the heartthrob of many a teenaged boy and America's sweetheart. She's done it all as an actress, and she's been a wife and mother. She married rock and roll virtuoso Eddie Van Halen. She and Eddie raised another marvelous musician, Wolfgang, who's making tremendous strides on the music scene. She spent a lifetime in Hollywood where she's faced many challenges of her own. In addition to being a highly successful actress, a star of Hot in Cleveland, Food Network personality and New York Times best-selling author with the book Enough Already, Learning to Love the Way I Am Today, she has been just a wonderful champion for women. Her message resonates with so many women out there with her book who struggle with their self-image. It's so needed. Valerie, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I love the message of your book. You have done so many wonderful things, but I would imagine uh, the strive for perfection, especially in Hollywood, that had to have been hard. Oh, God. Um, yeah, I think too many of us think we have to be perfect for anyone to love us. You know, we have to act a certain way, look a certain way. Um, and it's just magnified in the business that I chose to be in. But I, I think everybody feels that way in um, their own town. You know, someone's looking at you, someone's judging you. Um, and it's it's when when you can finally break free of that and not worry about what other people think of you. And I don't have it down perfectly yet, but it um, it is it is a work in progress. Um, you find that y you you open up more and, and you can look at the good stuff more and you can not care what someone thinks of you, because honestly, we have no control over what someone thinks of us. It's none of our business honestly. And um, we can't control it. And they're coming at you with um, whatever their past ghosts are that have nothing to do with you. It just maybe peaks something in them. So um, I don't know why I got up on that tangent. It's so true. 
Well, you know, when you think about it, women are raised as children to be so perfect. And even if we don't get the messaging from our parents, we look around, we see all these beautiful women, they're perfectly coiffed, perfect makeup, and nobody tells us the photos are airbrushed. We're given Barbie dolls, which it's mm. been proven, there is no way anatomically a woman can be shaped like a Barbie doll. You <laughs> no. know? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. There's actually uh, somebody out there I saw, oh, I don't know, a few years back who has had plastic surgery to be perfectly shaped like a Barbie doll. She had to have her rib removed. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. That's <laughs> so sad. Yeah. I mean, think about the lie that that young girl or woman must have grown up with thinking that she wasn't of any value unless she looked a certain way. What is yeah. that? That's so wrong. It's such a lie. Yeah. So wrong. Yeah. yeah. It took me a long time to do the same. I, I started modeling when I was young and did Miami and New York and all that, Montreal. And I was stuck with the stigma in my mind that that's what I had to be like, right? And just like you were saying, once I was able to free myself from that, it took 40 years later to do it. It's but hard. Once I, was, I felt like Peter Pan, like, you know, the freedom. <laughs> of I don't care you don't like what I look like don't look yeah <laughs> you have an opinion. Right? like what whatever you know <laughs> exactly oh my so god the younger women of uh, the younger generation coming up that they are it's easier for them to say screw you I don't care what you think you know and they're they're able to talk back to the misogyny and and whatever it is that's that it is whole that held a lot of us down um, they're fighting back harder than ever. And I'm, I'm really proud of the next generation coming up. It's yeah. so important, but it, it's taken so long. And do you think we're making progress, Valerie, uh, with the messaging? Because I, I still see what they call TNA out there in the cheesecake look. And oh, my goodness. It's like, really? Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I do think we're making progress. As long as the, the women that are doing that are doing that because it makes them feel good. Mm -hmm. I think you can do whatever the heck you want if it makes you feel good. If you want to wear that because you feel prettier, you do it. But mm -hmm. don't wear it because you think some guy is going to make your make you think you're prettier or say that you're prettier. Do it for yourself. Whatever makes you happy. Yep, that's the golden key right yep. there. Yep, I totally. But I, I, yeah, I just don't, I don't think it matters what anybody wears or does or or says as long as you're not hurting another human being. Then then mm -hmm. do what makes you happy. You know, Valerie, you've always, I think in, in, in the public's eye, you've always been so perfect. Uh, <laughs> what, what, what made you think that you weren't? Oh, my goodness. Um, because I wasn't, and I'm still not. And I don't think that it, there is such a thing as perfection. Right. Uh, maybe Betty sure. Bright White came close to it. Um, <laughs> but she was yeah. still a human being, you know. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. Betty was just fabulous. But you've also done a ton of things and been a marvelous example. Um, I think that I've led a very blessed life. Um, maybe that word gets overused, but it's true. I mean, I am grateful for the life that I have because I worked hard for it. I didn't used to give myself credit for how hard I was working. And now that I'm almost 62 and people are starting to tell me, you know, before we do any interview, I'll, I'll hear my life story. I'm like, oh my goodness. Yeah, I guess I have done a lot. I guess I'm not as lazy as I thought I was. Because <laughs> when I, I do work hard, but man, I know how to rest hard. I can tell you that. I'm a good <laughs> rester. And I would think that, well, that makes me lazy. No, it doesn't. I'm recharging. Leave me alone. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. you got to have that time. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> <laughs>
Absolutely. Well, you've done so many things and you started early. Um, if you wanted to maybe give a, a brief synopsis of everything you've done, um, how, how old were you when you got into Hollywood? I think I did my first commercial for JCPenney. I did my first commercial when I was 12. Uh-huh. I got one day at a time when I was 15. Wow. And then I started doing TV movies, I think when I was 19. Um, and then just kept going. I took five years off when Wolfie was a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, because uh, I, I got a, I got a, a mini series and Wolfie had just entered kindergarten. So I couldn't be there for him every day. I had to go to Park City and Salt Lake City, Utah, and basically live there for two months. But this was before 9-11. So I was able to fly back a lot. Um, I was in the airport maybe five, six times a week flying back. And then sure. Ed would also bring Wolfie up. But I, in kindergarten, he drew this picture, the um the kindergarten teacher, who is still my very good friend, Julie, his teacher, um, we are in book group together. She had the whole class draw a picture of like, um, if you could fly anywhere, where would you fly? And all the kids were like, you know, someone wanted to fly to go see Santa Claus. Someone wanted to fly to a candy factory. Someone wanted to, you know, fly with the birds because whatever. And then Wolfie's was, I want to fly to Park City, Utah, because that's where his mom was. And I thought, okay, that's Aww. it. I'm done. Yeah. I'm done. Sweet. I'm not going to, there's no reason for me to work unless I can like, get something during the summer and Wolfie come with, come with me. So yeah. I stopped working for about five years. Well, when you think about uh, it, motherhood is the ultimate job. It's, it's a blessing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And it was my favorite job. And it's still, even though my son's <laughs> going to be 31 in a, in a month, it's still my favorite job. And, and, and he rolls his eyes at me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you've been a terrific mom and, and all of that. Um, well, I don't know. Let Wolfie chime in on that one. We don't know about that. <laughs> the jury's still out on that one. <laughs> so reading uh, parts of your book, it was a major love story between you and, and Ed, Eddie Van Halen. Um, how did you meet him? Weren't you backstage or something? You had some VIP tickets? I was. Well, my um, parents had moved to, to uh, Shreveport, uh, Louisiana, and my brother Patrick had moved there with them. And my brother David left an eight-track cassette in the back of my car because he borrowed it once and he left the cassette of a Van Halen cassette. Um, eight-track. Oh, my God. Yep, that's how old I am. <laughs> um, uh, and... Um, they called me and they said, listen, we know the radio DJ here. And he said, if, if we can get you to come with us, we can get backstage and meet this band. I'm like, who is this band? So I played the A-track. I'm like, oh my God, they're amazing. This guitar player is ridiculous. And then I saw the album of um, Women and Children First. And oh my, Ed's just he's such, such a cutie. So I said, yeah, I'll go. I want to meet this guitar player. Um, and we went and Ed was so shy. Uh, Dave was not, Al was not, and Mikey was a sweetie pie. But um, I mean, Al was very kind too. Dave was the only one that was like, <laughs> doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter. Good old Dave. Um, <laughs> Dave is Dave. <laughs> Dave is Dave. And you know, he what he does, he does really, really well. So um, I'm happy for that. Um, and then uh, we went back to their um, Motel 6 after the show we hung out by the pool and then they had to take off and I gave Ed my number. This is before cell phones, mind you. So I gave him the number of my parents' house, which is where I was staying. Right. And he didn't call for three days. Oh, mm. the nerve. And when he finally <laughs> called, I said, yeah, I'll come visit you. And me and my brother, we took off for Oklahoma, I think it was. And 
and um, watch the show there. And, and then we just, you know, that was it. We were together that was it. from then on. It yeah. was a magnetic attraction, wasn't it? It was. We were meant to be together. I, I'm the only thing I regret is that we got together so young, and that yeah. I, I learned so much in the forty years that I've known him, and I would have done so many things differently. My compassion would have been um, more in the forefront for the pain that he was going through, as opposed to being upset at him because he's doing drugs and alcohol. Find out what pain is he trying to cover up and and not mm-hmm. deal with. Sure. And I was too young to, to know because I was covering up my own pain. But it, um, we came to a good place before he passed. I just wish we had had more time. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Terrible loss. Yeah. But you had some wonderful years with him and you have Wolfie, which is that's a blessing. Yeah, a blessing, mm-hmm. a big blessing. Yeah. I just I feel bad that Wolf doesn't have his dad here to be able to enjoy the success he's having right now. Sure. I mean, I know damn well that Ed and I would be at the Grammys um, with Wolfie to watch him hopefully, knock on wood, win. Yes. So, Valerie, what are some of the messages you want to give women? I know that uh, our audience uh, are women in the trades. They have certainly a lot of challenges just having to prove themselves in Mm -hmm. a man's world. (laughs) How do they do this without driving themselves completely crazy, trying to be perfect? Yeah. uh, Well, there's no such thing as perfection, but Mm -hmm. I have learned... um, I don't know this is, if this works in every situation, but I have definitely learned that um, I prefer peace over being right because I already know I'm right, but I don't need to make everybody else know I'm right. There you go. <laughs> so peace is always the easier path to walk down. Um, and you don't have to grit your teeth knowing you're right. Just know that between you and God and the universe or the higher power that you have, whatever it may be that, that you have, um, mm-hmm. you know you're right. You don't, yeah. You don't, you don't need yeah. to make that butthead know you're right as well. But you, you do deserve to be treated with uh, kindness and respect. That, uh, that is a, more of a challenge with some people out there. I, I don't know what, how mothers are raising their sons, but oof, you got to teach your sons to respect. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of disrespect out there. And, mm-hmm. uh, I, and I myself would go, huh? My mother yeah. would never have tolerated that. Yeah. 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 That's Although I, I, it is really fun to watch TikTok and see how some of these women fight back the, the dude bro um, guys out there and how she, she just there's a, this one woman drew a fellow um, and she just oh, my God, she's hysterical. I laugh until I'm crying watching her just not care and just fight back with these guys that treat people really badly. Treat women badly. You know, there'll be guys that like are like, you'd be perfect if you weren't fat. It's like, well, what makes you so God blessed perfect? Right. You know, why yeah. are you why do you care? Uh, I don't know. I don't want, I don't know, want to get that, down that tangent. That's the one thing that when I when I talk to women in shelters and um, wherever I go is that the minute you tolerate it, you just, you just gave him permission to do it again and again oh, and again. Oh God, isn't that true? The more, yeah. the more you tolerate, the more it's going to go on. It's you teach minute, people like, how to treat you. Yes, and I, exactly. I have taught people how to treat me that I'm, I'm really upset at myself for letting, for teaching them how to treat me. But you know, you yeah. always want to, sometimes that choosing peace over being right can make someone believe that they have a right to walk all over you. So there's a firmness that has to go yeah. with that as well. Yes. That, boundaries. That fine line. Mm-hmm. Right? Boundaries. Yeah. Yes. That's the good word right there. Boundaries. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with boundaries. And if somebody has a problem with your boundaries, they were going to piss all Too over them anyway. So. Yeah. 
You just say, hey, uh, yeah. what is it about no that you do not understand? Yeah. No is a full sentence. I like that. It is. I like that. Yeah. 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 I never knew the word, what, I, honestly, I never knew what the word boundaries meant till I, until I was 40 when I hit treatment the first time in my life. I'm like, you mean I could say no? Like, what? Like, I, I was a doormat my entire life. Like, what do you mean? Mm. Like, like, codependency? What? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is that one simple word. No has changed my life. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's the yeah. one thing I said when I was going to Al-Anon, um, I, I, I really wish and I don't know what it's like now that I'm talking like, I'm gonna say 30 years ago that I was going to Al-Anon. Um, I wish they had been more. I know they're going there for yourself so that you don't have to, you know, be a codependent and all that. But I wish they had taught me how to be more compassionate, you know, and and really nail down the it's not the drugs. It's not the alcohol. It's not you. It's the pain. Drugs and the alcohol yeah. is just the disease that develops from the pain when someone is so horrified with dealing with their pain. And um, I think that goes for everybody. Because um, I also went to OA, Overeaters Anonymous, for a while, and I did not find any help in that. And it, again, it could have been the meeting and the sponsor that um, I ended up with, and it just wasn't helpful for me. Sure. So do yeah. you think it's because people, women are raised to be people pleasers. Obviously, the, mm -hmm. the very nature of being uh, a woman, we nurture. I mean, we're biologically designed to take care of others. Is that where we forget who we are? And then we want to be everything to everyone. We forget how to be everything to ourselves. And then we start getting down on ourselves for looking I think you can do that. both, though. I mm -hmm. think you can because I think nurturing brings me so much joy. Mm -hmm. I love taking care of Wolfie. I, I love yeah. taking care of other people. It brings me so much joy. But yes, mm -hmm. but you can take care of others and have it, you know, make you happy. But you can also still have those boundaries for when they overstep them. But um, yeah. there's a lot to be said for what you just said. I mean, it, yes, a lot of us fall into the, the wrong side of that thinking we have to. Mm -hmm. But when it's something that brings you joy, do it. But you can, I mean, we're all smart enough to be aware of when someone is uh, taking too much and not giving anything back. Yeah. yeah I know I, like in, in the, in the okay. nursing profession, I lost myself because I was so busy taking care of everybody else. And I had so much inner pain inside that I didn't want to look at. So it, mm. I had my own personal wounds. I, mm. It was easier for me to physically take care of their wounds as opposed to looking at my own internal process. Right. And that's so that interesting. Led, yeah. And that, that's how I related to, to when, when I talk to people, I said, just because your inner pain is a, is a physical wound. It is. Yes. You're carrying it with you. It yes. comes out in, in terms of low self-esteem of depression, anxiety, eating addiction. You know, for me, it came out in alcoholism. Right. And so it, it, it it's, but you have to, to take care of that wound in, in some way you can't just let yeah. it faster because what happens when you don't take care of wounds, they become infected. Right. <laughs> and then yes. And then toxic. Right. And this is where we, we're not, we're not, I think the more we talk about mental health, because that, that, that walks down the path of mental health as well as it, you, you are so right on that, you know, mm -hmm. any kind of emotional mental wound does, if it's not, if it's not worked on and it's not fixed and it's not massaged and it's not mended, um, it will fester and it will be infected and it will infect your whole life. Yeah, it, it, it affects your thinking process. It really does. The mm -hmm. decisions that you make, you don't, number one, you don't feel good. Well, are you going to pick someone who's uh, mentally sound or you, you're right. going to find, find people that aren't? Because right. that's and then that magnifies at. it. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. I, I, see, I'm telling you, I'm telling you all this from uh, really bad experiences. <laughs> you so know, but I, though, that's, that's what way. connects people. And God yeah. bless you for, for willing to talk about these experiences, because this is what, this is what helps people. This is, this is part, I believe, of nurturing. Yeah. And that's in your soul that yeah. you are a nurturing soul. You are a gift to this world. Mm-hmm. And when you do share your stories, all, all of a sudden, some people go, wow, that was me too. I can't believe someone else yeah. was going through the same thing I was going through. And you just don't feel so alone anymore. Exactly. If you want to hear more of our interview with Valerie Bertinelli, be sure to visit our website at womenroadwarriors.com. Go to our episode page and look for episode number 19. Stay tuned for more of our Holiday Celebrity Edition coming up. Stay tuned for more of Women Road Warriors coming up. Dean Michael, the tax doctor here. I have one question for you. Do you want to stop worrying about the IRS? If the answer is yes, then look no further. I've been around for years. I've helped countless people across the country, and my success rate speaks for itself. So now you know where to find good, honest help with your tax problems. What are you waiting for? If you owe more than $10,000 to the IRS or haven't filed in years, call me now at 888-557-4020 or go to MyTaxHelpMD.com for a free consultation and get your life back. Industry movement Trucking Moves America Forward is telling the story of the industry. Our safety champions, the women of trucking, independent contractors, the next generation of truckers, and more. Help us promote the best of our industry. Share your story and what you love about trucking. Share images of a moment you're proud of. And join us on social media. Learn more at TruckingMovesAmerica.com. Welcome back to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. If you're enjoying this informative episode of Women Road Warriors, I wanted to mention Kathy and I explore all kinds of topics that will power you on the road to success. We feature a lot of expert interviews. Plus, we feature celebrities and women who've been trailblazers. Please check out our podcast at womenroadwarriors.com and click on our episodes page. We're also available wherever you listen to podcasts on all the major podcast channels like Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Amazon Music, Audible, you name it. Check us out and bookmark our podcast. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, LinkedIn, YouTube, and other sites. And tell others about us. We want to help as many women as possible. The second interview in our Holiday Celebrity Edition is with Hollywood legend and icon Ruta Lee. She's been a trailblazer as an actress, a philanthropist, and glam girl who knows what she wants, and she gets it. She's also a spitfire. She single-handedly got her grandmother out of a Soviet Union Siberian internment camp by personally contacting the then-Soviet premier, Nikita Khrushchev. She's the author of a Hollywood memoir called Consider Your Ass Kissed. Enjoy the interview. Today we have a Hollywood legend and icon with us who's had quite the career that spanned decades in film, television, and theater. Ruta Lee got her start in 1953 before she even had an agent by appearing on the George Burns and Gracie Allen show. After that, she landed an agent who got her a job on the Roy Rogers show. 
She's worked with so many Hollywood greats. In addition to iconic films, Lee's appeared in guest starring roles on major TV shows like Gunsmoke, The Love Boat, Three's Company, Roseanne, Murder, She Wrote, even Scooby-Doo. She's worked with remarkable leading men, including Clint Eastwood, Burt Reynolds, Charles Bronson, James Garner, Johnny Carson, Fred Astaire, Robin Williams, Frank Sinatra, and the rest of the Rat Pack. And she's been friends with Hollywood greats like Debbie Reynolds, Rona Barrett, Phyllis Diller, Lucille Ball, and Sally Fields. Ruta has a new book of memoirs out, which we're eager to talk about. It's called Consider Your Ass Kissed. I love that title, by the way. It's a treasure trove of Hollywood history. Ruta Lee is truly a Hollywood legend and glam girl, and we're very honored to have her on the show today. Welcome, Ruta. Shelly. Kathy, would you girls do my eulogy, please? Because that was absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. <laughs> wow, you just gave my whole life history. God bless you. That is <laughs> nice. I'm so happy to be with you, adorable tomatoes. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. You had quite the career. What inspired you to get into Hollywood? Well, I think what inspired me was that I came out of my mother's womb singing and dancing. I'm not quite <laughs> sure. <laughs> my, my mom, which is a, a, a Lithuanian born and bred and married lady who came from a teeny tiny little farm where they were very, very rich if they had a cow, you know, um, and carried her shoes to church all the time because they had to be passed down to the next girl in the next generation. And um, she knew nothing about show business, but she listened to my uh, kindergarten teacher who said to her, Mary, you have got to do something with this girl. She's different from the other children in my my classes here in the kindergarten. Uh, give her music lessons and some dancing lessons or something because she she is a standout. And my mother took her seriously and, and gave me the lessons. I hated practice. <laughs> I still hate practice, but love performing, you know. Sure. And, uh, and so eventually, because she was so sure that I was Lithuania's answer to Shirley Temple, um, she, she knew a little bit about movies, nothing about theater. And it planned on getting me somehow to where movies were made. And she corresponded with a marvelous priest who had started the Lithuanian Catholic Church here in Los Angeles. And he invited them to come out and spend a little time at his tiny church slash rectory slash residence. Uh, and he he was just wonderful. And thanks to him, uh, he, my folks fell madly in love with Southern California. Uh, we were up to our fannies in snow in Montreal, and, and uh, here they were with flowers blooming and palm trees waving and birds singing and bees buzzing, and it was all just too wonderful. And eventually they got their papers uh, to come to the United States, which was kind of miraculous, because after the war, uh, the uh, all the visas and uh, permits to come into the U.S. were given to displaced persons all over Europe that were of Lithuanian descent. But God listened to my mother's prayers, and um, we got papers to come, and that's how I got started in Hollywood. And I was, uh, you know, all of 11 years old, I guess, when we made the move. 
but uh, what a fortuitous move my mom saw to it that we made. Absolutely. Thank God they were the kind of people that supported my efforts all the way through. And the nice part is, girls, that they both lived long enough, especially my mom, because she lived long past my dad, um, that they both got to see me arrive at some modicum of success in the business and, and be able to make a living at, at what I enjoyed doing, which is kind of a great blessing, I think. If any of us have jobs doing what we love doing, it's really great. Well, you've had such a stellar career, and what a wonderful tribute to your parents who were so fortuitous in, in helping you and, and recognizing and listening to your kindergarten teacher. Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful. I mean, I owe my whole career to that lady, and then I owe my whole career to the priest that invited them out and thought it was a great idea, you know. Absolutely. And if if I stop and think about it, my first steps in show business were usually at the church hall, you know, where there was either I sang in, in the little children's choir or I, I did some sort of dancing and carrying on as a child and then other Lithuanian communities heard about me and they would have me come to Boston or New York and perform in whatever Lithuanian hall or church hall there was. So they were my first steps, uh, and they were always uh, something to do with the Almighty, which is kind of an interesting thing. So uh, I'm, I'm still connected and say, thank God for every good thing that came my way, you know? Well, divine guidance is always, always helpful. Oh, yes, yes, yes. If only we can learn to listen to the tinkle of the bells or the sighing of the wind or whatever that tells us what the answer is. Absolutely. I find it amazing that you appeared on the George Burns and Gracie Allen show and you didn't have an agent yet. That's, that's really an accomplishment. I think I may, I'll tell you how that happened. I was working all the way through high school. I went to Hollywood high. I had been in Catholic schools all of my life, and it was like getting out of jail to go to Hollywood High. It was spectacular <laughs> and wonderful, and a great theater arts department, and they really stressed it, and a great theater in which to work. It's a venue that is often used for outside productions. And while I was in high school, it's a wonder that I got out of high school because I was working at night at the gallery stage. Mm-hmm. which is a small theater, uh, and and yet you had rehearsals before the performance or rehearsals after for the next show coming up, and I was going to school at the same time. And one of the producers there also worked on the Burns and Allen show as an associate producer, and he suggested me for a role, and I got it, and and that was kind of wonderful, and that's what got me my Screen Actors Guild card. Almost excellent. Yep. It's essential, you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You wouldn't really even be considered without that for some of the major and roles. You know, the, the, the Burns and Allen people were very, very dear to me. And, and Mr. Burns, um, after Gracie had already died, while she was still alive, I would get included every once in a while. Not, not often. I don't mean it was a daily or monthly procedure. But maybe once or twice a year, I'd get invited by them to their home if they were having a cocktail bash or something in their beautiful backyard on Maple Street in Beverly Hills. And I just thought that was so splendid, 
to be included with these sophisticated Hollywood people, you know, this this newbie here. Uh, sure. and, and that's kind of a lovely thing that has happened um, in many cases. The, the lovely woman, Gail Patrick, who was the producer of the Perry Mason show. Now, Gail Patrick was a big star uh, in movies, you know, in the 30s and the 40s and into the 50s. And to all of a sudden have her hire me, not just once, but like six times. I think I did a lot of episodes of the Perry Mason. Wow. I got to play all wow. sorts of different characters. Sometimes I was the, the good, good goody two-shoes with the heart of gold, you know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I was the hooker with the heart of golden teeth to match. Sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I was, uh, you know, the murderess. Um, and it was such a lovely training ground for me. Just great. And Gail Patrick would include me in her cocktail and dinner parties occasionally. And I, I just never forgot how splendid that was for somebody just beginning in the business. You had to have been starstruck initially. I know I would have been. Yeah. You know, you're starstruck, except you're so young and stupid that you, you <laughs> think this is going to happen all the time, you know, that it's going to be an ongoing thing. So, uh, you know, so when I was working with Frank Sinatra, I got used to it and thought, oh, yeah, this happens all the time, you know. <laughs> You know, you, you began at a time when women still had a lot of challenges in Hollywood, which was dominated by men and, and maybe a lot of double standards. I think it took a, a lot of tenacity to stay focused. What was it like for actresses then? And how did you weather the storm? You know, Shelley, I, I, I guess I've been asked the question, but to my recollection, I never had a bad time in the industry. And if somebody made a a real-life pass at me, I don't think I recognized it. And why? Because I have a wild and wicked sense of humor. And I think that I was the kind of girl that the guys could sort of have sit around with them while they were having a cigarette and a beer on a set and swap dirty stories with them or whatever the case may be and had and laughed my way through. And I think if I did have a pass made at me, I thought of it as a lark rather than anything serious. So I never had the guys chasing me around the desk, I'm sorry to say, because I would have written about it, you know. <laughs> but but uh, I I don't think I ever struggled with any kind of female adversity. I don't think that ever happened to me. And if it did, I didn't recognize it. And I just sailed right through it and laughed my way through it. Well, good for you. I can say about that. That's a good strategy, too. I think it is. I I think it's a a great way to handle any kind of just say, oh, you silly fool, how adorable you are. But, you know, you're (laughs) married and I'm single and we're we're not going to play that game. Okay, next, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Good for you. Stay tuned for more of Women Road Warriors coming up. 
Trucking Moves America Forward, or TMAF, is building a positive image of trucking by telling the story of the hardworking drivers and industry professionals who support the industry. And you can be a part of it. Learn more about TMAF and how you can join and be a part of the industry movement working to build a strong image of trucking by visiting TMAF's website at truckingmovesamerica.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our latest channel, TikTok. Welcome back to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. If you want to hear the rest of Ruta Lee's interview on Women Road Warriors, be sure to visit our website at womenroadwarriors.com. Go to our episodes page and look for episode number one. Or look for the Women Road Warriors podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Now, last but not least, here's a segment of our great interview with comedian Karen Morgan, who's been featured on Dry Bar Comedy and open for comics like Stephen Wright and Jeff Foxworthy. Enjoy. We especially love to feature women who've been trailblazers as well as celebrities. Many of our guests have had multiple careers. Comedian Karen Morgan is one of them. She's a former trial attorney who decided to give up the courtroom for the comedy circuit. The Athens, Georgia native began her comedy career as a finalist on Nickelodeon Television's Search for the Funniest Mom in America. She was a huge hit, and she pulls off clean comedy like a master. Audiences love her hilarious commentary on all kinds of topics, like a trip back to a time when rocks were pets, carpets were shag, and bike seats were bananas. Karen is open for Stephen Wright and Jeff Foxworthy. Her TV appearances include comedy shows like Gotham Comedy Live, and she's had two comedy specials on Dry Bar Comedy. One's called Rub Some Dirt On It and Go Dogs. She's been in national TV ads for companies like Walmart and for products like Zyrtec. Karen can be seen in performing arts centers around the country, and she's got an audio album called Cocktails in Pajamas that's now available on streaming platforms. Karen lives in Maine and says she misses Waffle House very much. For those who don't know, Waffle House came from Georgia. I personally love Waffle House, too, especially their cheesy hash browns. (laughs) Welcome, Karen. Thank you for being on the show with us. This is so cool. Well, thank you for having me. And I'm also glad you're a fan of Waffle House. We we will get along famously. Great. What What do you think of their cheesy hash browns? I get plain hash browns. I'm a, I'm a purist from the hash brown order. I have a specific order I get every time I go. Uh-huh. Um, just a little trivia. There are 438 Waffle Houses in the state of Georgia. So I think I've been to all of them. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I've only been, I think, uh, to maybe three in my lifetime. So I've got a lot of catching up to do there. Yeah. Well, you I've mean, never been. <laughs> it's it's a it's a acquired taste. It's a, it's a luxury being on the road. And, um, you know, I'm working my, my way up to a heart stent. That's where I'm going. <laughs> Karen, you are so funny. I watched a number of your shows online. You've just got a tremendous perspective. My question is, is how do you go from a trial attorney to a comedian? Well, I have to tell people there was a little bump in the middle and it's called having three kids in three years. So um, I was practicing law and doing a lot of trial work. And then um, after my first son was born, I went back to work. And then when my daughter was born, um, I said, you know what? I don't know that I want to do both of these things. I didn't really want to leave my kids 
um, you know, at a nanny with a nanny or a babysitter, I was like, you know what? I really do think that if I, if I have to give up one thing, I'd probably rather give up the trial work and make sure my kids are going to be okay. So I ended up doing, and then, and then I had my daughter the next year and it absolutely solidified the decision. And I tell people though, I am, you know, very blessed to be able to be in the position that I was able to stay home with my kids. Cause not everybody is. And I recognize that, but, um, had I not done that though, I don't think I would have ended up in the comedy world because it took sort of my, my, uh, my brain falling out of my head a little bit as, as a full-time parent to go, Oh, this is, <laughs> life is very funny. Maybe, maybe other people are having this funny experience and that's what happened. Well, I think moms have to have a good sense of humor. Oh God. You ha- <laughs> if you don't, you're not going to survive it. Absolutely not. <laughs> oh, children really are a serious training ground. Oh, well, you know, I think what it, what I find and particularly even, even now my kids are grown, they're in their twenties and, you know, it's, it's common life experiences, whether it's marriage, parenting, dating, um, just going to the grocery store, just sort of driving in traffic every day. We all have very shared life experiences and, you know, I do try to find the humor in it. And I love when I write something and I, and I get comments back, which is the wonderful world of social media now is, you know, I, can talk to people and they say, Oh, this happened to me too. And, you know, it's just, I find it's a wonderful world of shared experience. And when you think you're having a tough day and then you share it with somebody else and they have a similar one, and then you can both laugh about it. Uh, that's kind of why I do what I do. That's really, I think the way we can survive life. Yes. Humor is so good for us. Yes. I mean, it, it gets us all through the day. It's really, mm-hmm. again, humor and again, shared experience that, you know, you're not alone mm-hmm. when you're, when these weird things are happening to you. And, and if you can find them funny too, Hey, even a bonus. Those endorphins. That's, that's what we need. And I think aren't humans the only species that actually laughs. Although I, I swear my cats laugh at me. Sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I'm I'm not a scientist in 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 that or an anthropologist, but you know, I don't know. I've I've seen some pretty funny uh, orangutans that look like they were laughing. You know, on, on different <laughs> videos, you see enough memes and videos, you think I don't know. I don't. We might not be alone. Yeah. Well, maybe the animals. Pretty sure my, my daughter's bird laughs at her. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I had a cockatiel that actually could mimic the phone. I remember answering the phone. Nobody was there. And I happened to look at the cage and he was just rocking back and forth. Like, (laughs) it was great. So yeah, I think he probably had a sense of humor. And and maybe some animals have to laugh at humans because they look at us and say, what the heck are they doing? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So Karen, I'm curious how you evolved uh, being a trial attorney and being able to transition into comedy you must have had a sense of humor to begin with. And would you say that a sense of humor is kind of important when you're in the courtroom or? <laughs> well, I, I think a sense of humor is important in every job to start with, every single job. And definitely um, you can, in, if you're if you're in the middle of a courtroom and something funny happens, you don't necessarily get to appreciate it or laugh out loud like you could in other, uh, other forms of business. But um I think I evolved mostly. I have to say, I didn't start doing stand-up until I was 40 years old. And I think that may be one of the keys to my my comedy is that if you've had enough birthdays, you, you're less self-conscious about anything, quite honestly. Sure. And, and, you know, in terms of my comedy writing, which is a big part of this business, um, you have to have life experience to draw on. So the, the evolution of coming from the trial 
the trial work to stand up, it wasn't really that big of a leap in terms of, you know, it's still written word. Um, it's still a performance based thing where you're talking, it's public speaking. And so um, I was already comfortable you know, on my feet in front of people speaking. Mm -hmm. And I was comfortable with the writing process. I just had to learn a different kind of writing. Um, Comedy writing is very different, but you know, I, I really do enjoy it. And now that's why I've been doing this longer than I practice law that I'm, I just enjoy the whole process. Well, it's got to be more fun. And when you're on stage, you don't have to worry about uh, whatever you say. You could be held in contempt, of course. <laughs> <laughs> no, wor- no worries about judges at all or juries. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and we've gotten past vaudeville, so people don't throw things from the audience. So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I find your humor is so relatable. And I think that's where women really enjoy you. Would you say you have a lot of women that come to your shows? Yes. You know, I would say it's probably it, to the live shows, 75%, 80% women. Um, but there's a lot of couples, you know, there's a lot of uh, pe- people on date nights and that sort of thing. So it, it's it's not just all groups of women. However, I do say that, you know, if, if you have a show and you advertise it correctly and women bring their friends, you're going to sell it out because women move mountains in terms of getting a night out to laugh. So um, I'm always appreciative when I see large groups of women together that come to my shows. It's so important. And I think we're seeing more and more women getting together. I think that uh, when they can network, they can find something that is relatable, that can strengthen them, which mm-hmm. is what our show's about. We're, we yeah. like to empower and inspire women. And I love the fact that you started your second career, if you will, at the age of 40. I think women are told for some reason, uh, maybe more in North America, that by the age of 40 or 45, everything's just going to go south. You might as well just forget it. And we, we doubt ourselves when, in fact, we're coming into our prime because we've got the life experience behind us. Exactly. And, and that's why I feel like I, I'm just getting started doing what I'm doing and I'm not going to stop doing it because I'm I find something different each year about my business that I enjoy more. And I also have learned, again, this is maybe during pandemic and maybe during social media, um, that the community of my demographic of people that are, I would say majority of my demographic is middle-aged women. You know, we're, we're all in this sort of, you know, second chapter or whatever we're in, but we're all relating to where we are in life and we're all pretty comfortable where we are in life, which is the best part. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing. Because I think for so many years, women were told, well, hey, you're over the hill. And when men in middle age were just in their prime and trying to attract younger women many times, even though they're going through a midlife crisis, don't want to admit it, you could see that kind of evolution. Would you say that sexism is on its way out? I sure hope it is. Um, I, I wouldn't say that in terms of the comedy business. I mean, it's still primarily male dominated in terms of what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there's still, there are more and more female comics now than there ever have been, but it's still a majority of, of guys and, um, it, it, sexism, it's not as bad as it used to be. Um, it's that, you know, I know when I first started again, when I was 40, mm-hmm. I came from, a, you know, a trial practice, a law office where everybody was on their, you know, best behavior in terms of sexism and in politically correctness. And then I went to a comedy club where I was told, um, well, tits can't close my show. And that was told to me. And I I just remembered that wow. statement was made to me. And I'm like, mm-hmm. 
I just couldn't believe a someone said those words out loud in that day and yeah. age. Right. I'm like, yeah, wow. yeah it took yeah, me wow. a minute. I was like, really? Okay. This is a new business I have just joined. And um, again, didn't intimidate me. I'm like, okay. So what I found, which what most women, smart women do is you just have to find another Avenue, which is not, not where that place was. I found other places that booked me as a headliner. So, yeah, um, yeah. but no, I would, I would say, it's it's not gone. You just have to maneuver around a little bit sneakier. Women are good at being innovative. Well, just the process of raising children, you have to anticipate things all the time because children can move on a dime and you have to anticipate, okay, where are they going? So I think maybe from that aspect, we have the ability to do that. We can adapt. Yeah. Um, and the fact that you persevered, you didn't let that stop you is really commendable. Well, and again, had I been 20 or 25 or maybe yeah. even 30, it probably would have upset me. It didn't upset me at all. I was just like, and it, it honestly didn't make me mad. It made me laugh. I'm like, wow, okay, well, this is different. And let me just figure out my path around it. But, you know, mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, had I been 20 or 25, I probably, I probably would have been upset or, or, or angry. And I think you get to a certain point in life, you're like, oh, I'm not going to waste my emotional you know, energy on mm -hmm. somebody that's going to say something like that to me. I, I'll just, I'll just find another way. No big deal. See you later, dude. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good for you. Yeah, that's what you got to do. Stay tuned for more of Women Road Warriors coming up. Industry Movement Trucking Moves America Forward is telling the story of the industry. Our safety champions, the women of trucking, independent contractors, the next generation of truckers, and more. Help us promote the best of our industry. Share your story and what you love about trucking. Share images of a moment you're proud of. And join us on social media. Learn more at truckingmovesamerica.com. Welcome back to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. If you want to hear Karen Morgan's full interview, it can be found on the Women Road Warriors podcast. Just go to womenroadwarriors.com, click on our episodes page, and click on episode number 90. Or look for Women Road Warriors where you listen to podcasts. We hope you've enjoyed this holiday edition of Women Road Warriors. Stay tuned next week. We're going to be doing a special edition for New Year's. Thanks for listening. And if you want to hear more episodes of Women Road Warriors or learn more about our show, be sure to check out womenroadwarriors.com. And please follow us on social media. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Women Road Warriors with Shelley Johnson and Kathy Takaro. If you want to be a guest on the show or have a topic or feedback, email us at sjohnson at womenroadwarriors.com. Mm -hmm.